Doran's uh, larger than life on the screen here, ready to yeah. pop in. All right. Yeah. I just had a question for um, Mr. Rivera. Um, being an educator in the formal sense and then also in a grassroots sense, do you find that, that the type of education that you've been doing, um, teaching people how to resist kind of uh, mainstream ideas of, um, well, for the area, let's say, um, um, sexual discrimination, uh, do you find that as effective as the formalized education that you also participate in? Or, or um, I'm, I'm very sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't hear you very well. Okay. It's very low, your volume. So I more or less understand your question, but I'm not sure about the last two sentences. I couldn't, I, I couldn't catch it. Could you test your voice? Hello? Can you pump it up, Alyssa? Hello? Pump up the voice? Yeah, no, that's better. No, that's perfect. Yeah. So my so, question was just, uh, it was just if you found for the formalized education as, as effective as the grassroots e education that you've been taking part in. And uh, when you've left, or when you've done these types of activities and then left, have you felt that, that you've made a real impact in doing so? Or like, I just, I'm curious to know your take on that kind of. Yeah, uh, impact on, on the people I um, interact with. Yeah, or, or just uh, the method of delivery, I guess, for, for the ideas that you're trying to present. Do you find okay, that? Okay, okay. All right. So I think I use this same system in, in my classes, you know, even though I teach anthropology, um, I have an interdisciplinary kind of, kind of take in, in education. So what I do, I like to, I bring my experiences to, to the classroom uh, and then I contextualize them with a couple of theories that are kind of um, useful for, for, obviously, but, uh, uh, you know, especially for seminars and 3,000, 3,000, I, I lecture a little bit and then I open it up for what do you think. I, I, my, so it comes from this notion of, of teaching comes from actually theater, okay? I, I do it in, in, a, in a way of, uh, of sharing, learning together, okay? So it's, it's kind of more democratic. I don't want you to see me uh, as the person with more, more knowledge. I want you to see me as somebody who, who's your friend, who's gonna talk about with you, uh, to you, through my experience. And I want you to tell me your experience too, whatever that experience is. Well, so, speaking of that, maybe we could uh, quiz uh, Doran a little bit on uh, Katimovic, um, which obviously is uh, an agency um, devoted to a sort of education a sort of education that has to do with hands-on, actually going out into communities, getting involved uh, with with issues, getting involved with uh, people where they live, uh, getting uh, beyond the kind of thing we're doing here, which is talking about it in these matters in an abstract way, hmm. in a theoretical way, uh, but combining this kind of education with hands-on, actually doing things. Mm -hmm. I don't know, could we, could we draw you out a little on, on your experiences with uh, Katimovic? I'm, I'm not, you've been in Canada World Youth too, Doran, have you? Or, yep. Which sort of flows out of Katimovic. Uh, in my days, they, counts, they called it the Council of Young Canadians. Uh, the Peace Corps was such a, an agency in, uh, in the United States. Um, can you, can we? Um, I can give you a quick rant about it if you want, but I guess uh, like programs like Katimovic, Canada World Youth use uh, kind of this interactive kind of framework of education where uh, 
throughout the week they have um, workshops uh, within like a, a group setting in, in a kind of house setting and um, pretty much learn about what they want to learn about and then have people come in and, and teach about that kind of stuff. But then also throughout the week there's work placements where you can actually go and participate in various work projects that teach about you know, whatever you decide you want to learn about. So, I don't know, like for me, for yeah. instance, I was working in an art gallery and a daycare center and places, a lot of places like that that I'd never gone before or worked before, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. And also, since it's a group setting too, you, you get to learn about um, kind of, uh, you get to exercise some of the activities that you learn as well. But it's just kind of like an alternative kind of education style as well. But yeah. mm -hmm. Very interesting. So you are, you are participating and learning. So that's the idea, uh, learning through participation. So this is the emphasis that I, I bring to, to my classes, uh, especially the upper level classes. Uh, is you learn through the process, but I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, that's fine. That would be Perfect, thank you. Okay. All right, any more questions? Uh, I've got a couple comments. There, there's some nice things coming out of the uh, the text chat, and a couple of things I've noticed. One is uh, the rollback on the text. It doesn't go very far. Oftentimes, um, in other social software, you can actually capture the entire text chat. And people have done, you know, text analysis to try and you know, tease out interactivity and things like that. I was just James, wondering when where you say when you say roll back on the text, I have no idea what you mean. Uh, the the texting line, the, the actual text itself as it appears on the screen, it doesn't go mm -hmm. back to the beginning of the class, for example. There's a, there's mm -hmm. a limit there, and I just was wondering if if the Alberta server, like it's a VC Alberta chat, I wonder if they are collecting the data, because uh, you know, sometimes you do text analysis to try to tease out interactivity and things like that. Just just something I noticed. Also, uh, is uh, this a, uh, a worry about Big Brother uh, watching oh, or something like that? You never know, you know, we're talking about uh, <laughs> <laughs> using it to, well, to advance the... Uh, academic freedom still <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, I just... Yeah. I want to make a reference, uh, uh, Umberto, to Paulo Freira. Mm -hmm. This guy yes. uh, is a hero of mine in, in some ways. And uh, I just mine too. It's a pedagogy of the oppressed here. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way you're describing the, this situation, I just want to read a little piece here. Uh, <clears throat> very poignant, written 35 years ago, but, but it's, it's here now for us. Uh, he says, He's talking about um, the way that the oppressors see the world, and he, and he says uh, the desire for conquest, or rather the necessity of conquest, is at all times present, present in anti-dialogical action. To this end, the oppressors attempt to destroy in the oppressed their quality as considerers of the world. This, this quality of, as a considerer of the world, it's almost like uh, 
uh, you know, your, your, the fabric of your own essence as a human being. I mean, you, you, you come here and you, you, can, you need to consider the world. But anyway, that's me. He goes on, since the oppressors cannot totally achieve this destruction, they must mythicize the world in order to present for the consideration of the oppressed and subjugated a world of deceit designed to increase their alienation and passivity. The oppressors develop a series of methods precluding any presentation of the world as a problem and showing it rather as a fixed entity, as something given, something to which people as mere spectators must adapt. Very interesting, and yeah, and uh, I'm, I was inspired by 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 him, and uh, Augusto Boal obviously is inspired by him, and that's the type of of methodology being utilized. You know, this this idea that the educator and the student had to come to reconcile, okay, in order to to understand mm -hmm. the world in which we live, because they, obviously the oppressor is always finding ways to to create that distance. Yeah. I, I want to um, take up a point that I raised a little earlier. I want to put it in the context of uh, uh, the reality that, you know, it, it's a global world. We're interconnected. Uh, so we're talking about a revolutionary environment in Nicaragua or a revolutionary environment in Nepal. Um, what about the potential of a revolutionary environment or the existence of a revolutionary environment in Canada. The idea that we talk about these issues of oppression and resistance and the possibility of creating some kind of popular movement to create a more equitable, fair kind of world. Um, and that, you know, this applies to our own society. It's all the action isn't somewhere else. We're, we're in the midst of this all the time. Uh, the tactics of oppression, uh, the Contras, you know, have a very uh, unique place in history. I've, I've got Mahmoud Mamdani's book. Uh, here's a, here's a, um, I wonder if I can just uh, go in on, in on it here. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, good Muslim, bad Muslim. But essentially, uh, uh, he looks at the privatization of terrorism. During the Cold War, when the U.S. couldn't commit its own troops to these foreign uh, situations, and they had to essentially use proxies, um, and the Contras were the classic proxies, but there was also a similar, um, similar uh, I mean, proxies throughout, in, yeah. in Mozambique throughout and Angola. Uh, where the U.S. essentially paid uh, agents to, to conduct their state terrorism and, in a sense, uh, contracted out terrorism, mm. privatized terrorism. And uh, our discussion the other day, you know, you talked, in a, to me, very poignant terms about anything where the revolution was succeeding in schools, in health care, in seed banks, any symbol of the success of the Sandinista revolution was a target. Absolutely. And so it's not just hitting military targets, it's creating random acts of violence, not terrorism. Random, not random. They are, they are kind of... Or symbolic acts. Yeah, symbolic acts. 
But but it, it is terrorism. It's 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 uh, blowing up things. It's it's, it's, it's yeah. murdering uh, people who are not you know army people, uh, teachers or. Um, and uh, Mamdani's view is that this is part of the dilemma. This is part of what creates the the uh, danger of uh, terrorism that we're, we now uh, have formalized in, in, in the form of a war on terror. Mm -hmm. How can you have a war on terror when war is terror? You know, mm -hmm. um, um, but your own frontline observations of, of that kind of uh, terror directed at your own people, your relatives, uh, what was that like? It was interesting because uh, I mean, some of the first things that uh, uh, became the target of the counter-revolutionaries uh, and this could be, I, I never read the CIA manual or, you know, psychological manual that they used to train uh, counter-revolutionary movements in, in the world. But this is interesting because one of the first things they did was to target seed banks. Okay. Seed banks. Seed banks. Yeah. You know, the things that create dependency okay, the, the, or independence. Uh, in the country. So in Nicaragua, you are kind of collecting uh, seeds from Mexico, things, you know, corn seeds, uh, different seeds that are, are resistant to pesticides uh, uh, or to, to pests, and they don't need pesticides, for example. So they were collecting all these seeds, and that was one of the targets, okay? Another target was, as you were saying, schools, um, uh, teachers that were teaching in the mountains. Um, uh, literacy campaigners, you know, people who were kind of bringing literacy to the countryside, uh, health workers, uh, anything that would create a sense that the revolution was succeeding, mm -hmm. okay? So that was a symbolic kind of uh, strategy. And it didn't matter who was in, in between. It doesn't matter who died. You know, if the people were uh, at the, uh, at the um, medical center at that point, if they were just there, they were not members of, of the Sandinista uh, army, but they were, you know, also killed, innocent people. And this has been documented by, by, a, by a lot of uh, scholars and filmmakers, and some of them Canadian. Uh, the World Stopped Watching by Peter Raymond, the, mm -hmm. the filmmaker who, who, who also produced the film about uh, Romeo uh, Delaire. Exactly. So it has been documented. This is not, and, and it was systematic in that sense. It was a low-intensity war, war against the Sandinistas to to create this effect. Okay, the Sandinistas were not able to to so, you know support the the, the campaign in, in health, the campaign in, in education anymore because it was too dangerous and the resources were being utilized to fight the war. You know, to fight the, the contra war. So that was, uh, in a sense, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't think I saw it as a terrorism at that point. Mm -hmm. Okay, I saw it as a total aggression, but an understandable one because uh, Nicaragua has been invaded uh, several times. Mm -hmm. Okay, since the time of, of, of Sandino. Okay, so under through the history of Latin America, uh, United States had control and change uh, regimes that they were not to their pleasing. Okay, so that was understandable through the history of Nicaragua, the, the history that we were learning, relearning through the Sandinista mm -hmm. process. And this is one of the things that still stayed in Nicaragua, okay, 
the Sandinist revolution is no longer there, and it failed because of so many problems. And some of them is failures of, of men. Uh, you know, like uh, there were problems with uh, um, trying to solve the inequality between the sexes, the problem of machismo in Nicaragua, for example. That was something that the Sandinistas didn't see as a problem to solve, to be solved. And that undermined, in a sense, the, uh, the Sandinista revolution in the end. So we didn't see it as, a, as a, an act of terrorism. We saw it as an act of aggression that was understandable. But looking at it from, you know, retrospective, I, I can see, I can see that it obviously it has been happening throughout the world. Mm -hmm. Well, then you think the power of an example, an example that might lead away from the dominant economic regime uh, centered in the United States, the power of an example that might show other ways of, yeah. of organizing yeah. human society. And I think this is the uh, context in which the discussion on health care in Canada and Alberta belongs. Uh, yes, there might be some profits to be made for uh, U.S.-based insurance companies if we were to change the uh, format of uh, health care to transform health care from its current status, which has evolved to the point where it's considered by many people to be a right. When we not think about not perfect, but okay. not perfect, but when yeah. we think, what does it mean to be a Canadian? Well, we know that if we get sick and we're poor, we're still going to have uh, access to health care. You know, the transformation of health care from uh, a right to a commodity. Uh, um, I think this uh, can be seen. Uh, it's not difficult to imagine in, a, in, in, in our new world. Well, that, yeah. that this is an example that, yes, there, there might be some profits to be made mm -hmm. in Canada, but the real issue is that the Canadian system Tony. represents Tony. a model, an example Tony. that the, those in the United States might want to duplicate, or some in the United States. I have a question for the, for the people in the class. When you're watching the, uh, the screen, when you see the picture of them looking at each other while they're talking, is that preferable or would you prefer them facing the camera? And think of this as also being repeated on everybody's computer at home. Right, so, so have an input. I guess the camera. Okay, both visible. And do you prefer them looking at each other or looking at the camera? Okay. Okay, I'm just I'm just look, thinking of it from now. We can't hear the whoever. The, there's a discussion. This is a classic thing, and we we hear some you hear only me? voices in the background. Yeah, we so, can okay. Hear. So you have to double click your mic. Button and, and, yeah. and, uh, and then who you're talking to. So if you're talking to the class, it would be great if you or both of you would look at the camera, because it's kind of disconcerting to have you two looking at each other and talking to each other when. We're supposed to be part of the discussion. All right. Sorry about that. But it's easier. <laughs> All right. All right. Is that, is that consensus here? Yeah. yeah? Okay. Right. The class has consensus, consensus on All right. so, no objections. Next time, next time we can put a, 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 a camera in we can put a camera <laughs> in each other's forehead. forehead. Yeah, there you go.
How it works. All right. Yeah, it is important that we be conscious of uh, how we use this interactivity and what what are the protocols? What are the what are the ways of using it? Uh, yeah. Speaking digitally to one another. Now, Tony, you've just switched from us only seeing Alberto. Now we only see you. Okay. Is that a problem? <laughs> I think it's preferable right. to have to have it fairly zoomed in on both of you. And if you look at All each right. other, fine. If you look at the camera, fine. But it's All right. at least as the conversation goes back and forth, if it's a discussion, everyone's visible. All right. All right. So you have any other questions? <laughs> I'm actually interested in a little bit of history about the um, Sandinistas. I, I know a few things, and I've traveled through Latin America and Nicaragua as well. So if you could give us Andy, a little bit of background. Double click. Yeah. So where, how back? How far back do you want to go back? Like far as is relevant, like, I guess. <laughs> 70s, 70s. Yeah. Okay. Um, started. It was like a link. Uh, the Sandinistas started as a, a group of students, law students in Leon. Uh, Tomás Borges is one of the still surviving uh, founders of the Frente Sandinista of Liberación Nacional. And um, so this is the 1960s, early 1960s. And they organized, uh, obviously they were influenced by the Cuban Revolution. Uh, they were idealistic young uh, students who decided to to change the system, okay? They have been living under dictatorship for, for 30 years, 20 years plus. And uh, also, they were students of the history of Nicaragua, okay? So they, 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 they were anti-imperialists, they were nationalists, and, and they found inspiration in, in, in a hero, uh, uh, Augusto Cesandino, who in the 1920s and early 30s had fought a successful war against uh, the Marines in Nicaragua, the U.S. Marines who had invaded Nicaragua, okay? Because the Marines, uh, the United States government uh, in the 19, to, after the independence of Nicaragua, but especially in early 1900s, they were always interfering in the uh, happenings, political happenings of the country. Uh, so if the liberals were in power and they didn't like, like them, they supported the conservatives. So it was back and forth between the conservatives and the liberals. At one point, uh, Sandino was a liberal, and uh, the conservatives were in power, and they were obviously, uh, they were not for agrarian reform. Uh, they were, they had some connections with the oligarchy and also with the Catholic hierarchy. Uh, and so the liberals, wanted to change that, uh, that regime. And uh, Sandino was one of the generals of, of the liberal kind of army. But then the liberals and the, and the conservatives signed a pact, okay, brokered by the United States. And in this pact, they say, we are not going to fight anymore. We're going to share okay, uh, the government. We're going to go back and forth. You, you govern for a few years, I govern for a few years. Uh, but Sandino said, no, I, I will continue to fight until the U.S. Marines leave Nicaragua, until we have land, okay, our peasants have land to produce, okay, um, food. And uh, so the only thing maintaining the power in, in Nicaragua were the U.S. Marines, 
okay? Uh, and so the fight between Sandino and the Marines became case celebre around the world. So thousands of people came to Nicaragua, journalists, uh, famous writers, to see how this Sandino guy with 100 men, some of them uh, children, uh, and some of them very old men, all men, uh, could fight against one of the most powerful armies in the world. Okay, so he didn't win in the uh, war, in a, in a war sense, but uh, he was one of the first ones who utilized guerrilla warfare. Okay, so he hit the United States, the Americans, and then they ran. They, they, they brought this type of guerrilla warfare that was developed, was one of the first one developed in, in the Americas. So he became a, a huge hero. But throughout the history of Nicaragua, during the Somoza dictatorship, uh, he was assassinated after the Americans left and left a, a puppet regime, and the Somozas became uh, de facto the, the, pow the powerful in Nicaragua. He was assassinated by, you know, uh, invite, they invited him to say that they, they, everything was over, but they uh, took treasury, basically. So he was killed. So throughout the history in the 1930s and 40s, all the books uh, uh, ignored that element of history in Nicaragua. So Sandino was, a, in the memory of many Nicaraguans, uh, 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 a, a bandito, okay? somebody who, who who went pillaging and killing people, innocent people, etc. So that in the mentality of, of, of a lot of people, he was just uh, a bad person, okay? And uh, it, it took these Sandinistas who started reading, uh, um, who were exposed to the history that had been written, but was, was not in Nicaragua. It was buried somewhere. And so they reconstructed this, this notion of uh, a hero that fought against the Americans. So the Revo Nicaraguan Revolution is anti-imperialist. Okay? Mm -hmm. it, it sees uh, the actual uh, uh, role of the, of the United States in shaping the structures of inequality in Latin America, specifically in Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they were very unsuccessful at the beginning. In the 1960s, they, uh, they were wiped out. There were about 100, and they were wiped out to, to maybe three or four. And so they started to, to create um, alternatives to, to, to educate. And to, it was to education, okay, to, to uh, one person at a time, educating workers, educating living in the mountains, and educating them about the history of Nicaragua, about the role of, of the peasantry, about the role of, of, uh, of, of the workers in changing this, this system. And, and that's how they, they became powerful and more powerful and more powerful. And they, uh, they split in the 1970s. And uh, <clears throat> in 1978, they, they organized themselves again uh, into one block. And they took the pragmatic uh, notion of incorporating the bourgeoisie uh, that was against the Somoza regime as well mm -hmm. into the struggle. I think I could. Uh try uh, some observations on that. Um, let's take the story back to the Monroe Doctrine. And I can't overemphasize the importance of the Monroe Doctrine in 1823, M-O-N-R-O-E, James Monroe, the President of the United States in 1823, 
declared that uh, the United States would not tolerate any imperial power from Europe to mm -hmm. intervene in the affairs of uh, the Western Hemisphere. The exception, of course, was Canada. Canada was part of the British Empire. The British Empire in those days was by far the most powerful polity in the world, so they couldn't mm -hmm. really tell the mm -hmm. British government what to do in the Western Hemisphere. But they, they, they made a stand, uh, and this was uh, after the War of 1812. The British had flirted with uh, the idea of backing uh, an Indian revolt, an Indian rebellion, an Indian freedom-fighting uh, enterprise uh, as, a, as a tactic to oppose the Western expansion of the United States. Uh, that didn't uh, succeed. Tecumseh was killed uh, in the War of 1812. So the United States ended up, uh, in a sense, sanctioning a revolutionary movement, but a kind of revolutionary movement was, which was modeled after the U.S. Revolution that didn't mm -hmm. have much role for Indians or for slaves. So uh, Simon Bolivar, for instance, is uh, sometimes referred to as the George Washington of, uh, of, the, of, the uh, Latin, America. of Latin America. Mm -hmm. And as I see it, these are Ladino revolutions. Uh, Bolivar, I understand, came up with the word Hispanic. And of course, Hispanic emphasizes the Iberian Peninsula, Spain. Mm -hmm. And uh, so a Hispanic identity suggests Latin Americans, but oriented more towards the European heritage than towards the Indian heritage. Mm -hmm. And there is this kind of uh, There's a problem with uh, the spectrum yeah. or hierarchy in Latin America with Indians at the bottom, mm -hmm. uh, Ladinos um, at the top. Uh, revolutions have been made by, by basically white people. Uh, revolution, revolution, successful revolutions in, in Latin America have been uh, pushed and organized by, um, yeah. by Ladinos, by people so-called mestizos, but uh, uh, I mean, they use the indigenous populations to, to fight the wars. But uh, uh, yeah, so it, it was continue this. Um, it was not, but uh, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, there are some problems, you know. It's very interesting to talk about the Latin American context in, in terms of what's happening right now in Bolivia. Mm -hmm. The first indigenous uh, government, you know, the first indigenous president in the history of Latin America. Eva, Evo, Evo Morales. Morales. Okay. Evo Morales. That is unprecedented. Okay. Why? Why do we think so? 60%, 65% of the Guatemalan population is indigenous, is Mayan. Why is it that they are not in power? Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's a structural uh, notion there. There's a structural uh, system in which you, 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 the system ha itself has kept uh, this um, lower class, uh, uh, marginalized populations from power. Ashley is... Uh, Ashley is ready to go. Yeah. I just have a question. Um, wasn't there an indigenous leader in Ecuador, president of Ecuador, that just got um, thrown out, kicked out or whatever? He, he was like a military official. Is that, am I wrong? Yes, he was actually, he, uh, he was very influential in, in the government. And he brought the, the indigenous population's support to this president. I don't remember who that is. Uh, uh, but there can be right-wing Indians. Uh, absolutely. But, I mean, they, uh, that regime didn't last long at all. 
okay? Mm -hmm. Because, but, that, but they, they were not in power, actually. They were kind of brokers of power. Mm -hmm. The indigenous, they are strong, and Ecuador is true. They, they are very strong, uh, they have strong uh, unions and uh, organizations, but there is also, they are plagued with corruption and, and, uh, and some other problems. They are manipulated, in a sense. There's much irony in, in much of this, in that uh, the School of the Americas is, is, is infamous. Much, many of the uh, paramilitary squads, the death squads, uh, had their education in uh, School of the Americas in Fort Benning, Georgia, where the curriculum was uh, tactics of um, torture, uh, of intimidation, of bribery, of assassination. Uh, this was the, the curriculum, and, and this school continues to operate. And this was all being done in the name of anti-communism and, uh, and, yeah. and the Monroe Doctrine. Um, and uh, oftentimes the paramilitaries, the most ruthless uh, killing squads, can be Indian people, poor people, whose desperation but leads them to... Yeah, many reasons. They have internalized, uh, you know, uh, the power structures of the, of the oppressor. I mean, it's not because of they have used the system to upper mobility, for example. That's the only way to survive in certain situations is to be to become like them. Uh, okay, so you can also, you cannot blame the victim. Okay, mm. so they are victims of the structure of violence in a sense. Okay, you victimize, uh, if you are victi victimized, you will victimize the people who are closer to you. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we have seen in Guatemala, for example, where there is more uh, death squads, you know, the people who are. Indians killing Indians first. After the after the so-called violence mm. uh, ended, there's still more violence in, in these communities. Mm. Okay, it, it reminds me of the phenomena where uh, if children are violated, if children are raped or abused, sexually abused, oftentimes when those children become mm -hmm. adults, they will duplicate the same tragic Something pattern. about that, something mm -hmm. about that could be said. But, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the same structure, okay, that there is no room. Uh, we don't know what Morales can do in this sense. Uh, it will be, Evo Morales, it will be interesting to see what Evo Morales can do. Uh, but now there is, a, there, there is a structure there where he could really rely on. And mm -hmm. it's a structure that is, uh, organized by uh, by uh, Venezuela, Argentina, and uh, Uruguay. Of course, Hugo Chavez, some would say, is uh, uh, quite Indian in his in in his ancestry. Um, so the the concept of evil Morales as the first is uh, mm -hmm. you know open to all kinds of uh, all kinds of debate, I suppose. But you know the but, the but situation in in Latin America now, where you have uh, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, who is openly embracing friendship with Fidel Castro, and openly identifies his uh, appreciation and his mm -hmm. uh, and also uh, he's he's creating the system of exchange, uh, you know, an alternative alternative economy, where um, he's providing giving Castro oil and Castro is giving them. Uh, giving him uh, doctors. And now, now there we go. Evo. There's Alberta's health care. <laughs> yeah, we need some doctors from Cuba, maybe. Uh, we got oil. You have Evo, Evo Morales in uh, Morales in Bolivia, 
you have a very left-wing regime in Ecuador, you have a very left-wing regime, a socialist regime, although some would say he's betraying uh, that, that tradition, Lula, in, 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 in Brazil. Brazil. It's almost and as if... In Chile. In Chile we don't now. Know. We don't know. Yeah. yeah the, the, so the, it was interesting, yeah. was interesting, what's happening there, which is interesting, is that they are creating an alternative, not only an economic alternative. The, the, there is a plan to create a, a, a Latin American bank where Latin American countries will go and borrow money there. They don't have to go to the International Monetary Fund, which objectives are, are contrary to the objectives mm -hmm. of, of development in, in Latin America, for example. It's and almost as if the United States, by extending, trying to extend its empire into the Middle East or into Eurasia, into Afghanistan, into Iraq, into all the countries, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, all of these, uh, countries around the, the around the uh, Caspian Sea, it's almost as if their traditional base, the traditional base of their empire, mm -hmm. which is Latin America, they're, it, they're losing control of it. The, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know I don't know what's the next step the, uh, the United States is, is going to take because they have already, diplomatically, they have already denounced uh, Chavez, for example, uh, as a as a problem for the region, as a problem for democracy. Uh, what another thing that is, uh, you know, um, uh, Cuba, Uruguay, and and uh, Venezuela are doing is, uh, and also Brazil to a certain point, is they are creating, they created Telesur, which is like CNN but with the perspective of Latin America. So it's like Al Jazeera for mm -hmm. Latin America, where you and it's 24 hours a day. It's funded by by oil, obviously, mm -hmm. from Venezuela, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, they have correspondence everywhere in Latin America, so you can hear a voice that is Latin American for the first time, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, a voice that talks about, it's, it's not CNN going there, sending the, the people to, to, to look at what's happening there, but it's mm -hmm. Latin Americans themselves talking about their problematic. Another thing that they're doing is, as I said, is the bank, and they are creating, obviously, a Mercosur, uh, kind of free trade of the Americas, but, you know, in, in a system where it's going to be equitable, where you're going to be able to, to share resources as opposed to continue with the, you know, ruthless capitalism of these destabilizing countries through, through debt. 